This is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan. And as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Albertsons, it's just better. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. Peterson Chevrolet, satisfy your love to drive. Comet Dry Cleaners, it's the best. The Wellness Center of Boise, to do well, you have to be well. Therapeutic Associates Physical Therapy, your partner in health. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Each week we will have in-depth conversations with leaders in sports, business, and within the community. Through conversations with these leaders, we will examine the importance of creating a game plan to succeed in all areas of life. It will be interesting to learn the principles, practices, and priorities that each individual incorporates into the biggest game of all, the game of life. My mantra is, no game plan, no victory. Today's special guest on Game Plan for Life is a familiar name to Boise State football fans, and that is Marty Tadman. Marty, of course, was uh, instrumental in the uh, success of the Broncos in 2006 when they captured the Fiesta Bowl championship, and Marty was actually named Defensive Player of the Game. And Marty, it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here. I love uh, anytime we can talk to the community of Boise. It's a fantastic opportunity. Well, listen, we're going to get into some, some good stuff here today and speak from the heart and uh, learn more about what's going on with Marty since 2006. So it's been about 10 years, and a lot has happened, obviously, since you uh, you left the Boise State program. And why don't we start off, Marty, by talking about your family and, and, and where you are today with that. Yeah, so we had uh, the festival was my junior year, so I had one more year after that, and then right after that, my wife and I all through college thought we were going to go into full-time ministry and the summer before my senior year felt a calling to pursue football continually which was nothing I really wanted to do but uh, got done playing college went to Thousand Oaks to train was pursuing the NFL we found out we were pregnant unexpectedly a week before the draft that kind of shook everything up and so I went to the New York Jets with the understanding that we weren't going to go any further than maybe a few tryouts or a few weeks with them because we wanted to raise our kids here. So got back here in 08 and had our first daughter in 08, had another one in the beginning of 2010. Right when I got back in town, um, we started started working, went completely domestic, went uh, as far away from the football life as we could. Um, just because we wanted to focus on our family. So that was everything to us. My wife was staying home. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary being married. I've known her since high school. Um, and we just had our third daughter in February. So we now have a 7-year-old, 6-year-old, and a 4-month-old, all girls. And they are the center of my world. And um, the number one priority of my life is is being a dad and being a husband now. So the 10-year anniversary of the Fiesta Bowl is interesting, but at the same time, it really just marks my life of how much has changed from where I was at 10 years ago to where I'm at every day now. Wow. What's it like to live with a house full of girls? I don't know any different, you know. I mean, uh, we were hoping for a boy to get a football player in, but girl, 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 you just kind of get used to it. We walk down the boy aisles at Toys R Us for birthday presents, and I have no idea what boys play with. I don't know what they dress like. I don't know how we'd 
do anything related to a little boy because we're so used to the girls. Well, girls are special. There's there's no question about that. So uh, I'm sure that uh, you and your wife uh, are enjoying the the years with those youngsters, and boy, they go by fast too. So it's been uh, crazy. It's yeah. been uh, ups and downs trying to raise a family without being prepared for it. Uh, the first two were unexpected. Not that we didn't want kids, but they kind of came out of nowhere, and um, well, here they are. Yep, here they are. Well, Marty, um, let's talk a little bit about your career, what you've done since football. What? Tell us about your career. It was almost a divine, <laughs> filled with divine moments, which is weird to talk about, because it's almost a lot of my successes were built off of others' tragedies. Um, I chose here out of nowhere. I mean, I had offers. I was one of the few players at the time to have offers from a lot of big schools, and I chose Boise State, even though I was still living a pre-Christian, very party life. Um, but the, something felt right about here. So I came here, and I was planning to redshirt, and Chris Carr broke his collarbone, who was the starting safety. Right. So I got thrown in the fourth game of the year as a true freshman after planning to redshirt. That propels me to a backup role. The season ends, so now I'm. they kind of got to force me to play because they burned my redshirt. So now I'm on the depth chart competing for a starting job. That year, a great guy has a terrible thing happen to him. Cam Hall gets in a car accident, a mm. uh, hit and run. He ends up having to step away from the program for a little bit for some legal issues, right. which puts me in the starting role. Um, terrible things happen to those two guys, and it propels me in the spotlight without me really having to earn it. Um, so I, I get the starting position, and then my junior, junior year happens, and I'm doing good. The festival comes about, and... I become famous from a few plays. One of them, an interception, that was a blown coverage that I covered for. Luckily, it was an underthrown ball and made the interception. The second one for a touchdown, uh, Corey Hall tipped it. The defense coordinator called the perfect call, and the ball hits me in the chest. <laughs> so um, it's really weird how I had a lot of success, but a lot of it was out of my control. And not many people can really understand that. And it's hard to really talk about because it's off of other people's tragedies but to me, it's almost God's divine insp- divine plan, his hand over my life, moving me into a spotlight role um, despite some, some bad things happening around me. But it put me in a place where I could really have a platform and share his work and do some good things. And, and uh, it's amazing. It's just amazing how many things out of my control happened to be able to have such a successful career. So your career, tell us about what you do. Um, yeah, so when we got we, my whole the whole reason I played football, uh, I became a Christian right before I got here, my freshman year, and the whole reason I was playing was for sharing the gospel. My sophomore year, I was actually thinking about quitting because I was on track to be a full time minister, and that was all I cared about at the time. Some very wise mentors encouraged me to stay there, and that was my biggest ministry opportunity is to be a big name in football to share my story. So we thought we'd be a full time minister. I go to football. Afterward, like I said, we get pregnant. Um, that completely changes my life. And so now I'm back and I'm prepared to go be a pastor. But this is the first time in my Christian life that I'm completely confused at what's going on. I thought God was leading me one way and now this baby comes and he's leading me another way. Am I really following God's word or am I following my life and my direction? What was going on? And so I just wasn't spiritually ready to step into being a pastor. So I started meeting with all folks around town, including yourself. Mm-hmm. I and, remember that. And uh, you were actually the one who inspired me to get into finance. 
Mm -hmm. I saw you talked a lot about people who have a heart for people and people who um, are former athletes that have somewhat of a name recognition can, you know, could do well in this financial industry. I had no background in it, but I decided to start being a financial advisor. Started from scratch with zero knowledge of anything. And three years into it, I left my first company to open my own office. Didn't really know too much about what I was doing with running a business. Um, over the years, gained a lot of experience, partnered with a very powerful firm in Orange County. And our firm went from just me doing insurance and investments to a full-fledged financial planning firm. So now we have um, seven staff members, two offices, um, some very big partners in Irvine, uh, a lot of a lot of assets that we manage, and we've become a, a full-fledged, uh, medium-sized financial planning firm here in the Valley. And it's, it's really just taken off, um, and I, I never imagined it being here. The whole time I thought maybe I'd go back into ministry, and as I kept pursuing finance, I felt that this was where God had wanted me more and more, which had another interesting impact of can you be a Christian and serve God and not be a vocational pastor? And it took me years to figure out that you could, and it took me years to figure out how you can. So we're completely settled now and happy where we're at, uh, continuing to grow our business. And my wife now works with me just because it was getting so big. I kept hiring staff and realized I wasn't seeing my family enough, so I just hired my wife. Uh, our kids come into the office with us. We have a special room for them. Our baby girl comes in. The clients who are a lot of uh, grandparents love seeing the baby in the office, and they know it's a family-run business that um, I want my family around me. I want to see them throughout the day. I don't want to go 12 hours a day and not see them. So we've kind of built the business the way we feel God wants us to to run our lives. And um, some clients, I'm sure it's weird for, and, and others love it. And, and that's just that's just fine with us. Marty, that's such a great story, combining your career, your family, and your Christianity all together. That's, that is a, a powerful statement. Well, um, we're going to talk about another story because you've got one of the most powerful stories um, that, that I have heard, and, and I want the listening audience to be able to, sh to hear it in, in its entirety, and then we'll have a, maybe a few questions at the end. But again, we're talking today on Game Plan for Life with Marty Tadman. And uh, Marty sh shared some of the personal things, but now I uh, want to get real personal with Marty and, and go back pre-Boise State. And uh, Marty, let's, let's start uh, where you want to begin, and let's carry that story forward. Yeah, it's a story I've been fortunate to tell hundreds of times. It's, uh, it's kind of weird. It's just my life story. I didn't you know, do anything special other than mess up a bunch, and uh, because of football, it ended up being publicized more than than most but uh, I started starts back in Orange County California where I was raised I had fantastic parents um, you'll hear in my story a lot of mistakes I made but it wasn't due to parenting it was it was great parents who were supportive and loving and providing for us and I just chose some some very different routes but I was raised Jewish so I was bar mitzvah I went to temple every week my mom was real involved in temple uh, there was a point my mom thought I might have been a rabbi because I was such a spiritual kid. But uh, about 13 years old, through my bar mitzvah process, spending time with a rabbi, I started asking some questions about how do you know God and how do you know God's real? And, and, and is it really just follow these commandments from 5,000 years ago? And I didn't really get answers there. And um, so I kind of started falling off the, the Jewish route. 
about the same time my brother had turned almost 18 years old. I've told the story so many times I can trigger the exact point in my life changed from a kid before that I went to junior high, brought a basketball to school, could care less about girls, didn't know what drugs were, never seen alcohol, never kissed a girl. Um, and we're we, a weekend in Lake Tahoe, we're playing pool, me and my brother, and we start talking about life for the first time as I'm now technically a, a, a teenager. And he starts telling me about the fun things he's doing, you know, his senior year in high school, and it sounds fun to me. And so I, I just lie to him and I say, yeah, I do that stuff too. I've drinking before and I've tried drugs before and I've hung out with girls before. And it was all a lie. But my brother looked at me uh, the first time in my life as almost an equal. And I loved that. And that was the first time I realized that something was really missing in my life. And so I kept pursuing it. So throughout that year, I got invited to a party with my brother. I got invited to other parties for my junior high friends. It was my last year in junior high. And I got a chance to actually try drugs. And rather than um, shy away from it, which I really didn't want to try them, but I didn't want my lie to become revealed, I ended up trying them anyway. Tried them and saw this life that I'd never dreamed of before. This, these friends, these pretty girls, everyone wanting uh, to do stuff with you, always something to do on the weekend stuff you see in movies. So I kept pursuing it and um, to see what this life really offered. When I hit 15, my brother had gone to college. So kind of my outlet for that was, was missing. Luckily, I found some friends that lived that life and they were the cool kids, you know, that, that year in high school. And a lot went on for me in high school, my first year at my high school, but I found some friends at a different high school that really were the popular kids, partied all the time, and they accepted me. And they accepted me largely because I had began dealing drugs through my brother. So my brother had gone to San Diego State. And my brother is a, is a fantastic guy. He's not what you'd think of as a typical drug dealer trying to lead this kid down a bad path. He was just a party kid. Um, and I wanted it, and he was my brother, so he, he helped me out. And so because I started dealing drugs, I started gaining more friends and more acquaintances in, in different parts of the world and different uh types of people, famous people, even when I'm 15, 16 years old. Um, I started trying cocaine and marijuana, and I'm partying every weekend, if not throughout the weekdays. Uh, I'm even going from football practice, and the moment school ends, I'm driving to, to deal drugs to someone and rushing back and being late to football practice because I didn't make it back in time, having to do bear crawls because I was late. Um, but that was the life I was living, where I'm finishing a game as the MVP of the team, and I'm leaving to the parking lot, and at my car are friends of mine waiting to get drugs out of my trunk. And that's just the, the double life I was living. So, so let me get this right. So you were playing football and a football star and a drug dealer at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it was, and no one knew. You know, I did a really good job at lying about it. Um, I was, I'm a smart kid, so I know I'd hide things. I wasn't one of those drug dealers you imagine on TV. I mean, I kept it... Um, very separate from my life. No one really knew me. Uh, I didn't let anyone really close to me at the time. Everyone just knew of me. So I know, and even still today, my wife's really the only one that truly knows me as a person. And for some reason, I've always had that fear of someone finding out my double life. You know, I never wanted that to be found out. So finally, I kept going more and more and more, bigger drug dealing, more drugs, more parties, more girls, more everything, to a point where... Um, Everything finally just came crashing down. And throughout the whole process, I kept 
wanting a way out. I hated that life because if there was one thing that didn't go on in one night, if I met, if I had no calls on my cell phone after practice, no one wanted to do something with me, I felt like I was empty, like completely empty. Went suicidal almost to a mm. point of how depressed I was because I needed that fulfillment. Right. And it was so temporary that day by day I needed it. And if it wasn't there, I was empty. So I kept pursuing more and more so I'd never feel empty. Well, one night, I finally couldn't feel it anymore. Or I'm at a friend's house. We get in a huge fight. Uh, my best friends and me, I go to my car. Usually, I have drugs there. Uh, my drugs were at the party. I just left with my friends. I didn't have any alcohol to drown my sorrows. Didn't have anything. I called a bunch of people I knew through the cell phones I had, drug dealing relate relationships, friends, girlfriends. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, who was at college, didn't pick up because we were in a fight. So I literally have nothing for the first time in a long time, and I'm I'm just drowning here. Mm. So I go to the beach where I try to figure maybe there's a bonfire going on. Maybe I'll just relax for a little bit, find some peace, and then go back home. Because it was Saturday night, and it was fairly early. I go to the beach in San Clemente, California, and there's no one there. And I'm just literally the first time in my life empty with no one or nothing. And I didn't believe in God. I didn't have any relationship with any religion at the time. And in San Clemente, where I was at, there's train tracks that run right behind you. And every 20 minutes or so, Amtrak trains run from San Diego to Long Beach, I think. And so I'm on this beach just crying and screaming and hating everything about life. And I just decide I'm, I'm done. There's nothing else. I've tried everything in the world to be happy, to have a purpose, um, and it's just not working. So I walk back to the train tracks, and I get ready to end my life, and I'm walking off and on, and can I really do this? And I finally just go to the God route of, gosh, God, if you're real, you got to prove it to me. I have nothing else to live for. I, I don't believe in anything. Everyone's left me. If, if you're real, you got to prove it to me. And after screaming this for what felt like hours, it was probably minutes, um, I finally just calm down and have this peace come about me. And I'm in front of the you know beautiful ocean, night sky, on sand, no one around me. And it just feel God's presence for the first time in my life. And I can't really describe it. It wasn't like a voice. It wasn't a prophetic word. It wasn't anything supernatural. It was just finally I felt God's peace come around me. And I felt his creation be right there with me. And it was very real. So I felt this. I came at peace. I left. I go to bed. I stay home for two weeks. I don't go to school much. Just at peace. And I finally, after crying some more, after a few things happening, I go to my mom. I say, Mom, do you have a Bible in the house? Never seen a Bible, never had anyone share the gospel with me, never had the slightest clue about Jesus or anything. And my mom comes back with this New Testament, Gideon's green, pocket-sized Bible. Right, right. And uh, she doesn't know where it's from or why she has it. It's brand new. She says, I hope it helps you because she could tell something was wrong with me. So I opened this book I've never seen before, and it took me six chapters in Matthew as I'm reading out loud. And every word is just jumping off the page like, this is it. This is real. This is, for some reason... I was empty, I was at peace, and now this is filling me with something. So I got to the Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew, and I said, I'll try saying this Lord's Prayer. I don't know how to pray. And I'm sure I said the worst prayer God's ever heard. You know, I didn't know what anything was about at the time, but I said, if this Jesus is real, this book's real, I just want to, I want to know more about it. I want, to, I want to be with Jesus or whatever it means. I don't remember the exact words because I didn't know what to say. But I just sat there and kept reading and reading and reading. I missed a lot of days of school. I stopped hanging out with almost all my friends. Um, my, my principal at my school was about to not let me walk at my graduation because of how many days I missed at school. 
And it was just because I was so afraid to get towards any temptation. I didn't want to go back to that life. And this seemed like an outlet. I carried that Bible as my wallet, my credit card, my driver's license was in it. It was in my pocket. I'd be at a stoplight reading it. I'd be in the grocery store line reading it. I must have read that book dozens and dozens of times by myself. And that itself changed everything in my life. Everything stopped almost instantaneously. I stopped swearing. I stopped hanging out with all those people, stopped drinking, stopped doing drugs, stopped making bad decisions and started figuring out, okay, now what do I do? And it wasn't until I got to Boise State that I finally found that answer of, now what do you do? I got up here. People were shocked I was a Christian now because they had just seen me on my recruiting trip drinking tons of alcohol, being this crazy kid. And now I'm here, and I want to go to a Bible study. And everyone's kind of shocked about that. First time ever, I told someone I was a Christian, was at a Bible study with four people. And from there, I fell in love with it. I Mm. loved being taught. I loved learning about the gospel, about the entire scriptures, um, started learning about my faith, started realizing what I had done, what it was. And for the past, um, it's been 12, uh, 12, just over 12 years now, uh, that's all my life's been about is learning more and more about this God, this Jesus, this book, and continuing to try to fill my life with it, um, not just to replace the bad things, but to try to find what's the meaning of my life? What's the purpose? What have I been missing my whole life? Mm-hmm. And I've learned that there's never a even though I have a moment where I converted, where I changed my life, I can pinpoint that moment. It's an ongoing process of constantly screwing up and finding out how to replace that screw up with God's Word and trying to find God's path for your life. And I mean, if you have kids, you know how difficult that can be, is how do you now parent your kids and how do you lead them and how do you have a job and how do you make money and how do you not let money control you? It's just been as much of a challenge since as it was before. But uh, for sure, I I tried everything to screw up God's plan for my life. And um, it took me hitting complete rock bottom to finally hear Him or mm. to see Him. Wow. And wow. at that point, it was so powerful that it was what I was looking for all along. And I, I've never let go of that. Wow. What a, what a great story, Marty. And obviously, God is in the life-changing business and always has been and always will be, but he certainly changed yours and in the direction of it. And, and obviously now faith plays a big part of who you are and what you do, your family, your career, and, and uh, that's just such a powerful story. Well, I want to spend just a, a few minutes here. we got about three minutes, three, four minutes left. I want to talk in terms of parents and kids uh, t- in today's culture. And obviously the drug thing is is prevalent. I mean, it's anybody can probably get what they want anywhere at any time. And what would you say to parents to kind of, you know, caution them a little bit, what to be alert for or watch for? What what would be some of the indicators? Uh, first thing we take to our girls, even though they're still young, is I don't care if they're 17 years old, you're not their friend, you're their parent. And until they're out of your house, you're still raising them. And who cares if they don't like that you're checking their phone or if you're watching their social media pages. There are so many different outlets now to escape to a second life. It takes even more diligence by a parent to be on top of it. And some parents think that that's overstepping the trust bounds or, or, or letting go of the kid's freedom. I'm sorry, the kid is still under your house and you are still con- not control. You're still responsible for that child. Um, so it's just checking those outlets, taking away the temptation be cautious of sleepovers. Not much good happens after midnight. Take the kid to the house. Yep. Pick him up at midnight. Know the parents that you're letting your kids hang out with. And 
don't be gullible. I mean, don't. It's very easy, just like in sports. It's easy to say something in front of a microphone, and then you go home and you're a completely different person. It's easy to put on a front. So don't be afraid of doing some some digging. You're not doing your child any harm by making sure that you're still guiding them in the right ways. Mm, good words, Marty. And for the kids, I know for both you and I, sports has been such a huge uh, uh, thing for us and probably kept us uh, uh, off the wrong side of the tracks at times. Um, what do you say to the kids that are that are growing up nowadays? If somebody comes along and says, hey, you want to try this, you want to try that, you want to do this, what, what, what would you say to them? Truthfully, this is like is why I get uh, invited sometimes, and sometimes I don't get invited to Red Ribbon Week speaking. Um, if you don't have Christ in your life, why not? What is holding you back from trying that? Christ is the only thing that should be more powerful than any other high, any other drug, any other temptation. If you don't have Christ in your life truly as a centerpiece, why not? How do you expect your kids not to go venture off? There's nothing holding them there. Right. right. So um, as good of a kid can be, if they don't have Jesus in their life, why wouldn't they go seek elsewhere? They're still searching for that answer, and honestly, drugs are a one answer. Um, it wasn't until I went through everything that I found, well, this is the true answer, and it's your job as a parent to help share with them that answer so they never do want to leave because they already have the most powerful thing out there. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Marty. So what does Marty do nowadays for relaxation and fun? <laughs> Uh, golf is my number one hobby. I should have played golf or football. I'm much better at it. And my family. I mean, I left football and left that life for uh, to be a dad. And that's everything that, that's important to me now. My family is my best friends, and um, that's all I want to be around. Well, Marty, uh, we really appreciate you joining us today on Game Plan for Life. We thank you for who you are, the man you've become the father, the husband, obviously the businessman, and all that you do for the community, because I know you're all about serving people, and, and that's what it's all about. So, Marty Tadman, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Helping Hands Firearms Training. Educating Responsibly Armed Americans. Bacon Berry Hill. Bacon, you gotta love it. Berry Hill, you gonna like it. Mass Mutual, we'll help you get there. And Summer's Funeral Home, every life leaves a legacy. Join Skip next week as he talks with Jim Everett, former CEO of the Treasure Valley YMCA's and an Albion College Hall of Fame swimmer. You can catch every episode of Game Plan for Life at 941thevoice.com or on iTunes. If you have a question for Skip, you can send an email to skip at myfamilyradio.com. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the Game Plan for Life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory.